Welcome to Absolute Destiny, a podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm Chesney. And this is a show where we watch Revolutionary Girl Utena, the 1997 anime, and give our review of it. This episode is episode 24, Nanami's Secret Diary. This one is one of the recap episodes. Uh, we just finished the Black Rose Saga, which is one of the, the four major plot arcs of the show. And so at the end of those, there's usually a recap. And this is the recap for, for this plot arc. And the framing device of this one is that Tsubuki, who has been stalking Nanami and has devoted his life to her, uh, he has a schedule that he keeps for her. And he has all of his notes and strategies and all of that written in it. And so they all start reading it. And that's how we start reflecting on and flashing back to all the prior episodes with Nanami. I gotta say, like, unlike the last time we had a recap episode, because like that was the episode where we first got introduced to Akio mm-hmm. and first saw Akio with the prince and all of that stuff. That was some huge drama. This one is probably the most forgettable episode of the series, just because, like, not much new actually gets introduced in this one. Um, Ironically, unlike last time, the reused footage in this one actually has new content within it. Like, it'll be drawn from a different camera angle, or there will be new audio recorded to go along with it to reflect the idea that Tsuobuki was there the whole time monitoring Nanami. So for a recap episode that reuses footage, it actually doesn't reuse as much as you would expect, while also not actually breaking new ground for the show itself. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. They have like no qualms whatsoever about reading this diary, which I think is funny. At one point, one of them says something about it like, oh, come on, like we have to respect uh privacy <laughs> but then they just keep going well right because like it starts out innocently enough like just trying to see what's in it because mm-hmm. like supposedly it's just nanami's schedule and then as they start reading it they realize oh wait this is actually like tsubuki's diary <laughs> yeah which they did a like uh switcheroo <laughs> or a patent switch with just the title card because I really thought from the last uh, episode's like preview that we were going to get Nanami's diary. Right. And instead, it's just the diary about Nanami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the episode opens with uh, Suibuki chasing down Nanami and telling her her schedule for the day and then hands her a cheat sheet for her class that day. and interestingly enough she pauses to thank him which is i feel like of all the things in this episode right from the top we have the first sign of nanami growing as a character yeah but then (laughs) one one once again the equestrian class cannot be trusted to keep its horses in line truly and uh one of them has broken out of the classroom which Again, this is just like a joke of the podcast. (laughs) We never actually see the equestrian (laughs) class. We just assume that there is one for the number of horses that show up on this show. But yeah, so 
The equestrian class has been going poorly, and suddenly a horse runs down Nanami once again, and Suabuki jumps in the way to, to protect her. And he ends up getting injured and ends up in the hospital. The magical realism of this show and this school really said, character growth? Not on my watch. And then ran her over with a horse. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get to the hospital and Suabuki wakes up and he's the only character that we see for a large portion of the episode, at least in like the present day scenes. The rest of the characters, which in this case are Nanami, Utena, and Anthe. We see them in silhouette on the other side of the hospital curtain. They all think that Tsubuki is still asleep, and he is seeing them reading the schedule that he keeps for Nanami, which also doubles as his diary. And Nanami reads a line of the diary that originally we had heard Tsubuki give as narration for the episode. Um, as it turns out, that narration is actually just what he's been writing in the diary. <laughs> yeah. The first scene that we cut back to is the time where Anthe gets slapped and it's the three girls, Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko, who are running up on her. And in this case, this time when we flash back, we see Nanami interfere with it. And this is where we start to see, like, we're seeing this from Tsuobuki's perspective and he's being far more charitable to Nanami than the show was when the episode actually played out the first time mm -hmm. so like his memory of this event is far more charitable to her than what we saw as an audience the first time around uh, which kind of gets into like some unreliable narrator stuff which i think is really interesting because now we have to question like which version of this event was true like granted we can see with suabugi that like yeah he has a reason to, to be more charitable to Nanami because he's infatuated with her. But then whose perspective have we been watching this from the whole time? And how neutral is that observer? Right. Because sometimes it's clear that like we're getting it from Utina's perspective, at least in like the first episode, because we learn everything along with her as the audience. But then like with the student council... Utena doesn't know what's going on with the student council. So it's not like her point of view for all of it either. So are we watching it from the end of the world's perspective? Because apparently whoever that is, is super omniscient. <laughs> right. Um, and we get like some funky camera angles going on in the dueling arena that are literally from impossible positions to be in. Where like the camera will be pointed somewhere and stuff that should be in the scene isn't like that bell tower yeah when it's not ringing where the fuck is that thing yeah <laughs> right it, it's tall enough that you can see the dueling arena from it but every angle that we see the duels from like when we're on the ground of the dueling arena while they're fighting we never see that bell tower we never see the tower that toga sits on and watches from his like with his opera glasses right so Again, like this is the first time that they've really dove into questioning like who the observer is here. Who is the camera that we are seeing this show from? And then also just the question of by extension, what is real? Right. 
like you just pointing out about the background stuff that should be there in the shots of the dueling arena, but just plain isn't. Yeah. And the way that everything seems to matter, like where you are and when in terms of like what actually is there. Yeah. Because we get this with like the weird geography of where the students live. Because like some of them definitely live in the dorms on campus. Some of the dorms look like they are right off of campus. Like you can see the school from where they walk. But then like later in this episode, we're going to get a flashback to like the time where Nanami was walking under that like underpass. Mm -hmm. Who the fuck knows where that was? Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then the other thing about Suwabuki's perspective is that, yeah, it's bias towards Nanami, but he does also acknowledge some things as being true. Kind of. Like, what do you mean? When he starts talking about... So when this first starts, when the reading of the diary first starts, and he watches the scene between him and Anthe unfold, and he's talking about like, um, like kind of painting Nanami as the hero, but then gets into her like bad deeds so to speak well he says that he he's seen her true face yes and And you cut back to her and she's like what's with that look (laughs) (laughs) and it's like even though he idolizes her um or however you want to put it you know crushes on her or whatever he still acknowledges that there's um this side to her where she does things without dirtying her hands as much as she can. Like she still participates in bullying. Right. Things like that. But yeah, we get that with the ball episode. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to point out like that moment where he says that he's seen her true face and they cut back and Utana and Anthe are looking at Nanami and Nanami is apparently like staring daggers at them. It's all in silhouette. So all we get is them saying, what's with that look? Yeah. <laughs> and her response is just to cover it with her classic Ojo-sama laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like she has been made and her only way to deal with it is to laugh at it. Yeah. I mean, you can't say she's not confident in who she is. <laughs> I feel like this whole time she just kind of stood her ground with, yeah, and what? You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then, yeah, then we do get the ball episode. And in this moment, we have Choo Choo drinking <laughs> to the point yeah. where he, like, is choking. Oh, God. Um, and this is where it's revealed to Utana and Anthe that it was, in fact, Nanami behind the whole plot at the, at the ball. And they give her, like, the accusatory, that was you? <laughs> and... They continue reading and it says her bullying didn't stop there. (laughs) And then we cut to the Curry episode and some of like the new shots that we see here. When the first explosion happens, apparently there were also already elephants there eating the curry. (laughs) (laughs) And they uh, they swapped out their bodies with the the triplets. The triplets with glasses, God bless them. And so we we get some insert shots where it shows Zuabuki also in India 
tailing Nanami throughout that entire adventure. And there's one really interesting insert shot. It's a new scene where he says he saw her paying for her crime with a smile on her face, which the like the way he says it is a little accusatory. But <laughs> in the scene itself, what you actually see is just her enjoying herself on this trip. She's laughing with Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko. So like during the episode when it first aired, this was like this arduous journey. There was no upside to it. It was just the worst experience possible. But one of the things that we have Suobuki witnessing is that it wasn't all bad. She was actually enjoying some of her time there. She was enjoying the time that she was spending with Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko. Apparently, they're not just like hate friends, you know? <laughs> not yeah. even like frenemies, like something more than frenemies. <laughs> <laughs> um, hateful girl click. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and we see him like present Choo Choo with a souvenir banana. And yeah, I wondered if that was him or if that was Nanami. It was Suabuki then. And so. That's where the banana comes from that Tsubuki throws that trips Nanami so she spills the the curry powder. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Chuchu got a lot of uh screen time this episode, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, they seem to have inserted Chuchu as much as they inserted Tsubuki. Yeah. I mean, even in the um even in the shots where Suobuki's listening in on the three girls having this conversation. Choo Choo even makes an appearance there. So Anthony's subconscious is uh, very much present and running wild <laughs> throughout this episode. So then we cut back to the hospital. And again, they launch into the accusations toward Nanami about like, it was you. This was your fault. That's why this all happened with the personality switching. And Nanami defends herself and says, this wasn't me. It was your cooking that did this. <laughs> <laughs> Which she's right. Yeah. Like as bad of a prank as it was, the whole personality switching seems to have been something magical. And there's only one person here who seems to have that power. And it's not Nanami. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it may in fact have been that like, even though Nanami was trying to get Anthe, it turns out like the whole episode was about Anthe punishing Nanami by like pushing this whole bullying thing to the point where like even Nanami recognizes this was too far and has to go do something. Well, she doesn't like realize it of her own accord. Toga sends her to deal with it. Yeah. But like it turns out like the punishment is on Nanami for having done it. So, like, she was already punished for this. It's just a matter of Utena and Anthe now finding out that Nanami tried to start it. Yeah. I was surprised. I would have thought their reactions to finding out Nanami was behind a lot of this weirdness would be more exaggerated. I don't know. I just thought they would have been angrier or more upset, at least, with her. And the most that we get is, like, an incredulous that was you you know there's maybe it's because they who knows but maybe it's because because they feel that 
Nanami's already gotten, you know, her just desserts by having <laughs> to go on that curry trip. But I don't know. I just thought it was a little strange that they're like, oh, whatever. Okay. Oh, that was just Nanami being Nanami, you know. Right. Their reaction is a little bit muted. Yeah. And by the way, Anthe even plays dumb on the like curry incident thing and Nanami going, wait a minute, that was you. That wasn't me. Anthe's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we are now like well and truly into the part of the series where it's no longer tenable for her to hide the fact that she has magical powers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Even though like it's never fully acknowledged in the show yet. We as the audience are like, come on, Anthe. They're on on to you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And again, going back to the reactions thing, I can understand Anthe having the muted reaction because we really haven't seen Anthe, as far as I can remember, get angry about something or even like upset. I don't think we've seen her sad. We've seen her like worn out, tired. Um, and we've seen her like plastered smile, like fake persona, but we haven't really seen her get angry or upset, I don't think. But you would think at least Utena would be more upset given her personality and her previous reactions to things. But no, that's not here for some reason. Yeah, like, I feel like if this was still Utena from like episodes one through six or something. Mm hmm. Finding out any of this information would have been caused to fight Nanami. I think like on some level, even though they didn't know some of this information before, they've kind of baked into their understanding of Nanami of just like, yeah, some bullshit's going to go down when she's around. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. They've already dealt with the elephants and the cow and now a runaway horse. So there is a this is like the third or second or third horse. (laughs) True. And a kangaroo. I mean, my God. (laughs) I think also part of this also, I think, is the age difference where like they are still at least a couple years older than Nanami. That's true. And some of this stuff is just like petty on a level that I don't know that they feel like they need to deal with it, especially not now that like it's been revealed that it was Nanami behind all of this. Cause like part of Nanami's power has been keeping this a secret. And so yeah. the fact that all of this has been revealed and like she, the mask has been pulled off of her. Uh, I think like that alone puts her in a different position with these two than she was before. Yeah. Their whole conversation. I mean, even though later on either, I think it must be Utena that says this, but either An- Anthe or Utena says, you're really up to no good, aren't you, Nanami? <laughs> when talking about her different deeds and things. And that's a good point is that I hadn't looked at it through the lens of like, she's just a kid being a kid, you know, like petty squabbles, disputes, a kid getting back at somebody how they can. Um, right. Like imagine you're a freshman in high school and you find out your friend's younger sister in sixth grade, has been trying to, like, fuck with you this entire time. <laughs> yeah. Like, that age gap matters a whole lot in terms of, like, the level of care with which you put into how you feel about that kid. 
(laughs) (laughs) If I was in high school and like my friend's little sister was trying to fuck with me, I don't know that I could have cared as much as if one of my peers was. Yeah, you're just kind of finding amusing or annoying at most. Right. I I feel like of all of this, the incident at the ball is probably the most egregious one. Yeah. Because like the magical personality swapping was inconvenient, but like it was not on the same scale of humiliation as like what she tried to pull off at the ball. Like Nanami's pranks started at 10 and they have only gone down from there as far as like severity (laughs) and cruelty. That's a good point. (laughs) And I feel like them talking about it in this way now, and even just the framing of the shot, like looking at their silhouettes um, behind the sheet, it implies that they're on a more equal level now, at least to me, like, Oh, talking about the past. And then they're all just kind of like, well, that's behind us now. So then they keep reading and they ask if like there's anything in there about Tsuwabuki. And the (laughs) response is, nah, he seems to only write about you. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, then we get the episode with um, Mickey. So we're looking at episode, I think, three with, or no, four, maybe. I forget the order. Um, yeah, I think it's episode four where they're studying and Nanami is trying to prank Anthe with like the animals around the room. <laughs> and this time, like the random new shot is the elephants parked outside of the window watching this play out from outside. <laughs> In the chronology of the show, the India episode didn't even happen yet. <laughs> These elephants have been staking out Nanami for God knows how long, just waiting to plot their, it's not even their revenge, but just like their deeds against her. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I think it also speaks to the whole like questioning what's real in terms of memory. Because like we know that that didn't even happen yet. And so. Or did it? Ooh. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) But like that just leaves the question of, what of this is real and what is just an imagined memory? And are we supposed to be interpreting any of this as real or imaginary? Or is this all just like a big metaphor or a big parable? Yeah, I think to me, especially by some of the shots in the quote unquote hospital that Suwabuki is in, and then also the last shot and during the episode of like seeing the locker hallways. To me, it symbolized more of like the realism piece of the magical realism, the reality kind of coming apart <laughs> at the seams. Sure. So I don't know whose perspective we're seeing this from but somebody's losing control over something it seems to me well right and like we also had that with just the previous episode revealing that like time is super flexible here yeah we have a character who comes back after 20 years hasn't aged a day uh at first namuro hall has been there for weeks And then it's just gone and no one remembers it ever having existed. 
like Mickey, who tells the story of Namuro Hall, suddenly can't remember the name of it. Yeah. You know, like the flexibility of what's real and what isn't is starting to become much more apparent. Yeah. So like we first started getting the clues of this with like the bullying episode with the animals and then the curry body swapping. And like there's always been these like on the fringes weirdness stuff that's (laughs) happened. But now it's just like one after another of like none of this seems to be as real as it has been presented until now. I don't know why, but my brain is having a hard time wrapping itself around the last sentence you just said. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, yeah, like we have been presented with a lot of stuff that has all the trappings of reality. The school looks like a school. There are technically enough in the way of classes that like Utna has struggled with her grades. But like, we start getting into this second plot arc. Where did that go? Has she even been to class this up ep- this arc? Like, is she still struggling with her classes? Is she still bad at math? Yeah. We don't I... even know. Like, has there been a class since episode like seven? <laughs> like, I, I feel like I remember her sitting in a classroom <laughs> during the last arc. But ah, yeah, that's a. We don't see any classroom activities anymore. Yeah, we don't see her getting her grades. Um, I, like, I think at one point we see, uh, like, the one mem- moment of studying that stands out to me is actually Tsuabuki trying to find out, uh, like, what kissing is and bumping into Utana and, and Anthe in the library. And so... Like, I think that's about as close as it gets to like studying in the second plot arc. Um, you could forget that they're even at a school at this point. Yeah. Um, so like all these clues that the, this world is real are starting to break down in a much more obvious way um, to the point where we have these flashbacks where stuff is happening that clearly didn't happen in that order. The elephants weren't a thing when they were studying with Mickey that night. Yeah. And then even you kind of have to question the Suobuki self-insert itself, for me at least. Because I'm like, how plausible is it that he was there this whole time in every single interaction and nobody saw? Right. I don't I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, is this all just his fantasy? Yeah. Oh, God. Like, he clearly knows enough about Nanami and has observed enough that, like, yeah, you can probably say he was there for some of this stuff in order to, like, write about it at all. Right. But then there's, like, there's going to be a moment a couple scenes later of him hiding under the table in the student council chamber. And this was back when Togo was still around on the council. Uh, So we're going to get to that in just a second. One of the things, one of the next things that happens is um, they cut back to Nanami and they're saying that she's up to, she's really up to no good. And she's like, up to no good me. I was the victim there in terms of like the animals popping out in the bedroom while 
they were studying. (laughs) And it's like, maybe, but your motives were also pretty bad. (laughs) Right. Like that one's a little less plausible than the the curry incident claim. (laughs) And they do like a really fun sight gag with um, her repeating the syllable ya. Which um, is the first syllable of, uh, crap, I'm forgetting the word. Um, but it's the a word that means stop or hold it. And they, she's pointing to the syllable ya, which is repeated over and over again on an, an eye chart. Mm-hmm. Which is just a really cute sight gag for the show. <laughs> um, and they reach a line in the diary where I think it's Utena who's reading and she says that um, there's something profound that no one must know. And then they cut to the commercial break. And when they come back from the commercial break, the three of them are physically fighting over the diary and we never get the reveal of what profound thing Tsubuki feels must never be known (laughs) about Nanami. Yeah. I was so distracted by (laughs) by the choo-choo clip that follows this that I didn't even realize we didn't get that as the audience. Yep. (laughs) So to break up the fight, Anthe tells them to shush because she's trying to listen to the sound of choo-choo's teeth grinding while he's asleep on the table. (laughs) And I'll also note that this is the first time that we actually see behind the curtain because before we've just been seeing everything play out you know with them behind the curtain that's hung up around suabuki's quote-unquote hospital bed uh but the shot of choo-choo is the on the table is the first one that we see that's not behind this curtain so there's right first perspective shift yeah and And we'll get a little bit more of that in a few more scenes but yeah it's it's interesting to note that it's all been silhouette up until that instant. So then we do get the scene where Tsubuki's hiding under the student council table. And this is where we get into like all the stuff with Toga and the notes that he has taken about Nanami's psychology about Toga. And none of this is new. Like this is all stuff that we've heard before about her obsession with her big brother. And Basically, only Toga can measure up to her standards of an ideal man. And while this scene is playing out, um, and that God's name is Abraxas is playing, which is like the student council elevator theme. And it continues to play over all of the stuff involving Toga, even when we're seeing shots of like the ball and his birthday and um, him fighting the kangaroo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they keep playing that one song as if it is Toga's theme specifically. Like it's his character theme now, which I don't know if that's officially the case, but they're using it as if it is his character theme. And we haven't gotten that song in the shots of the student council since he's been gone. Correct? Right. And they have a different chant that they say, or that Nanami says, when she's leading the meetings and they're riding the elevator. We've also just sometimes cut straight to it. Um, yeah. Sometimes we have a softer version that's played on different instruments, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the pipe organ version 
I don't know how often we really hear that in this in this arc anyway. It wasn't as frequent at all. Yeah. So might have some weight to that one being Toga's theme. I don't know. Or maybe it's more like his influence as opposed to his theme. Like his influence over the student council is what makes it so like <laughs> doomsday pipe organy, like <laughs> strong. Well, as far as like the soundtrack notes go, Anthea and Utena both have a theme. Mm -hmm. But the other characters are not given a named theme. Got it. Okay. And also, even with Utena and Anthea, they don't use those themes the way you would expect them to for character themes. Like they're not woven into other songs when the character's on in the focus. We don't hear those songs under particularly poignant scenes about those characters. They're introduced in the first like couple episodes, but then they're not used as character themes for most of the rest of the series. Huh. Have we heard? either of their themes and I've like up to this point and I just have Oh yes, realized. absolutely. They they were played definitely in the first plot arc. Okay. Um pretty much in the first episode, I think they hit both of them in the first episode. Um definitely within the first like two or three episodes. Okay. But I think it was just the song that was playing the first time that we see those characters on screen. But they never revisit those songs to drive home the idea of like that song being a signifier for that character. Like maybe sometimes like when that character isn't present, but the idea of them would be mm. like, they don't use music in this show the same way that they use, say like the rose symbol where like, if we see a spinning rose of, our, of a particular color, we're going to associate that with whoever's hair matches that color or the prince in the case of the white rose. Or the idea right. of princeliness or princely love uh, whenever we see the white rose. We don't get that as much with music, which is why I think this is really interesting that they're using this song specifically for Toga all of a sudden. Like, it doesn't seem inappropriate at all. Um, just that, like, that isn't something that they've done a lot of so far. I do think it's, I do think it's funny that this is Suwabuki's theme for him then <laughs> because in, <laughs> in my mind like Suwabuki now is like the person at the school that makes like fan cams and I just imagine him <laughs> I just imagine him following all these characters around like getting <laughs> Suwabuki has absolutely made a student council AMV that yes! stars Nanami <laughs> as it should always uh, <laughs> but I can definitely just picture him following them around like with a camera and just recording footage and doing edits. <laughs> uh, and this song is uh, with to all of Toga's edits. So this is where we finally have the moment where Utana voices the idea, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. You are way late to that party, but I'm glad somebody finally said it. <laughs> finally, somebody fucking said it. <laughs> so Nanami responds to this by saying, you've already read so much of this thing. So like kind of a fair call out there. 
being deployed in a really like smarmy way because of course nami wants to keep reading right (laughs) but but she says you've already read so much already as if his feelings carry so much weight and she says this line while sitting on a scale and anthony points out her exact weight is 49 kilograms and then we also see choo choo sitting on the scale with her (laughs) And yeah, she freaks out about having gained weight, but Choo Choo is also sitting on the scale. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, again, another shot that we get of them behind the curtain when we see her sitting on the scale and with Choo Choo. Right. Another perspective shift. So then we get the strategy pages where this is Tsubuki laying out his plan for how to get with Nanami. And strategy one is that episode that we saw in the early part of the series where he's setting up all of those plots in order to um, endanger her so that he can save her. And when she's like, it shows like when she's in the hospital after being run down by the car, he arrives and pretends to be Toga so that she falls for him and then reveals himself to be him. But because he saved her, She'll still love him anyway. Like it's this whole convoluted fantasy plot of if all of this works out perfectly, it will work. Um, But of course, like we saw that episode and that didn't work. (laughs) No. (laughs) And this is where Nanami finally confronts Suobuki about his so-called evil conspiracies. And his response is, I want to be a man worthy of you. Yeah. um, Let's not skip over the fact that he jumps out from behind the curtain. And the poor thing, for whatever reason, is completely naked. So he's had to, like, do a makeshift toga. Yeah. (laughs) Get it? (laughs) Um, He's had to do a makeshift toga and is just like, please don't read anymore. (laughs) Which poor thing. And he's wearing slippers that have rose seals on them. Oh, gosh. I didn't even notice that. (laughs) Yeah. Because everything at this school has the rose crest on it. Yeah. Um, So then they read strategy two, which is a really extended scene where we don't get a whole lot of new footage. This is just the recap of the cow episode from this season. And there isn't a lot to say about this one because like, it really is just a long, extended, reused footage scene. Um, this is like the Mickey duel in the um, uh, Plotting a Locust episode when they were doing the recap of the duels, where they, this time they just like replay the duel and don't really say anything new um, until it gets to the end. And so by this point, we've watched like four minutes of reused footage. <laughs> <laughs> just in, like an egregious amount for a recap episode <laughs> um and we get to her finally turning into the cow and Tsubuki says if this ever happens again i'll do it this way and he puts on his own cowbell and turns into a cow with her he says i'll take care of you forever and he becomes a cow too it's kind of sweet, also a little weird, because yeah. like <laughs> even in cow form, he is significantly smaller than her. 
<laughs> and it looks a lot more like a mother and child. <laughs> uh, yeah. Where are they, by the way? Because it seems more like the student council platform or even the dueling platform than an actual hospital. But how, how so? Can't... <sighs> the framing, like when it shows you a little bit of like what it looks like behind the curtain, the like way that the background is drawn makes it look more like that um, little arch that's the entryway to the dueling platform. It's at least reminiscent of it for me. I don't know if it's just because it's drawn in that like similar style, but yeah, it just, it's the way that the lines are drawn, really. I'm like, it, where actually is this? It looks kind of outside, like there's some something there. But Nanami does end up falling out of a window. So it is inside somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, he pops out and is like, stop reading, stop reading. And she says, just accept it gracefully. <laughs> um, and while they're wrestling, his blanket falls. And <laughs> they have this moment where they are all shocked at seeing him naked. And they are shocked on a level that like, I'm trying to like put myself in the shoes of like a 14 year old girl. I can't imagine being that put out by seeing a penis, especially like in <laughs> Nanami's case where we know that she has an older brother. Right. Like we, and in Anthe's case, she also has an older brother and this is nothing new to see. Uh, right. And so like, all we have is like Utina, who's an only child who might be embarrassed by this, but it's Nanami who freaks out. And I'm like, what's going on? Does he like have a massive hog? Like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> like, does Suabuki have a dueling sword down there? Like, how how is everyone so shocked by this that Nanami freaks out and falls out a window? Not the dueling sword. <laughs> It's the final black rose, like. <laughs> but seriously, like, how is everyone so shocked by this that Nanami falls out a window? Maybe it's like a Kyle XY situation where, or a Ken doll where there's just nothing and she freaks out. <laughs> like, maybe the world, uh, the end of the world hadn't written that into the script. <laughs> so they just freak out at seeing, like, literally nothing. But yeah. It was um, shocking enough to fall out of a window. And then the show does that thing where it's like, ooh, it was all a dream. But it wasn't. And Nanami right. actually gets out ahead on this one. <laughs> and so she wakes up in another bedroom. This one is like super bougie. So it's probably at the Kiryu estate. But then we have this one weird set piece. And that is the scale is still in the room. Hmm. So it's just like a, it's tucked away on the far side of the bed, but the scale is in the room. So we have these scenes now that are very like dreamlike. And it's almost like in like any movie that deals with memory or perception or anything like that, or like sleep and dreams, 
I'm thinking like um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind or Vanilla Sky. Any time where like we're trying to signify to a character that things aren't right, there will be something in the scene that is uh, incongruous with what's going on. And so all of this has just played out. She got a bump on the head. She wakes up in this fancy bed, having been like taken care of by Tsuabuki. And the scale from the hospital room is there. Like of all the things, it's not like an IV bag. It's not a heart monitor. It's the scale. The thing that we saw previously in a different room, in a different scene. So like we as the audience were primed to like pay attention to the scale. It was the thing that the other characters talked about. It wasn't just like a background object. This wasn't the butterfly picture that changes in the elevator. We had lines about this thing. We never actually had spoken dialogue about the butterfly picture. <laughs> right. We did have spoken dialogue about this scale. And now it's back in the room with her in a completely different room. So again, like this episode is really a turning point in the series of just hammering home, question everything in terms of the reality of what's going on. This is silly, but it's almost like the thing is sentient. Like it just <laughs> followed her into the room. <laughs> it's almost like a Doctor Who thing or something where it's like <laughs> every time you see you look out of the corner of your eye, it's there and then you forget about it or something. Yeah. So we end the episode on the Shadow Girls and they're repeating Tsubuki's final lines cuz like Nanami had like brought in Keiko, Aiko, and Yuko to hold him down while she reads his diary again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he says, I'm finished because she starts reading plan like 24 or something like that. His grand strategy. And the shadow girls repeat, I'm finished. I'm finished. And they say, I have a secret. The king has ears like a donkey. And then the shadow girl says, I'm not even a donkey. I'm a, a monkey hiding behind the face of a girl. And then the robot shows up and catches the monkey. And this whole time, it's the three boys who are watching the shadow play this time. And they end the episode doing their curry line where they all repeat the word curry. <laughs> oh, and also like the, the UFO makes an appearance again. Yeah, once again, confirming that they are, in fact, aliens, the yeah. Shadow Girls. And so this entire Shadow play is just like recapping the the season the way that this episode did. But also, um, again, talking about like the layers of embarrassment of having your secrets discovered. Yeah. And ag again, when the episode ends and it pans out from the triplets the three boys, we see a shot of that hallway that we've never seen before. Previously, we had just seen it where we're facing the shadow girl, like glass, stained glass, uh, stained glass window or glass window uh, that they perform behind. Or we see Utena's locker. Yes. Utena's locker's on the, on the right side. She's opened it or she's near it, leaning against it, what have you. 
But we typically see the perspective of looking down the hallway at this window and watching the play and her in shadow as well. The way that this episode ends is it pans up and you see it from a 3D perspective. Right. And there's not just one locker hallway. There's at least three. But the way that this pans out implies that there's more. And it looks more like a maze that is endless. (laughs) It's kind of horrifying. (laughs) Like to me, it was, it really was almost like a horror movie shot. A little bit. Yeah. And I think it fits with everything else in this episode of just the amount of times where we see things that, um, well, we see things that cause us to question everything. So what I'll say about the shot is like the darkness of the shot is scary. It's unsettling. Um, That arrangement of the lockers isn't uncommon for Japan. So Japanese schools do have lockers arranged that way at the entrance of the building. Okay. So like that aspect of it isn't weird. Still, the way that the camera pans out and shows it, I mean, it really does remind me of like a rat maze. Yeah. Yeah. There's no other like features of the room to anchor it to. Like you don't see the exterior window or any of the walls. It's just an endless hall of lockers. Yeah. Which is, again, like it's unsettling. It's an unsettling shot. This next plot arc is going to be one where things really ramp up speed. Yeah, the show, this episode was the show having mercy on us as the audience and being like, yeah, remember all the fun times we had? Well, forget (laughs) all that shit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So on that note, what do you predict for next time? Um, Anthe said, we're going to be living in my brother's house, which my like, Alarm bells and sirens are just going off over uh-huh. here. <laughs> yeah, they should be. <laughs> uh, that's horrifying. I am so scared for everyone involved, except uh, you know who. Um, but Utena also says some interesting things. Like, I feel like I've met Akio a long time ago. And then she's also having a dialogue with Anthe during the preview. Uh, where she says, you know, I want you to feel like you can always come to me with your problems first, which is interesting that she says that. Um, Not because any friend would be like, I want you to feel like you can come to me with your problems. Utena emphasizes first. So has she seen something where maybe she's seen Anthe going to her brother and talking about her problems or maybe she's starting to feel a little jealous i don't know i don't know (laughs) but i am scared (laughs) um predictions for next time i oh you can't forget the closing shot though the closing shot is utana's shoulder and akio putting a hand around it and pulling her close Oh, God, I'm cringing out of my skin. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You Um, should be. (laughs) Yeah. But I, the preview obviously is priming us for the episode, but I I don't feel like anything, at least I hope, 
that anything too wild is gonna pop off um in the next episode i am i'm hoping it's just a priming ah because i don't know if i can take it (laughs) i mean i will obviously but just like oh god i am so worried about these two so do you think we're gonna get a duel finally Ooh, i don't i don't think so i'm also gonna be really interested to see how choo-choo reacts in the upcoming episodes like i'll be looking out for what he does specifically or if we see him at all because i still go to him as an indicator sure but yeah i don't i personally don't think we're gonna get a duel because i don't even know who it would be against we did see a shot of the prince i think in uh in the preview this time which was also interesting I wonder if she has a dream about him or something. Who knows? Or possibly a flashback. Yeah. Or Akio talking to him again. Could be that. Yeah. Uh, this next plot arc is... I like. I will say my like tier list of favorites of the show goes in reverse order from the end of the show to the beginning. Um, it is like one long crescendo in terms of intensity. And I love how the show ends. And now we are starting to move toward Endgame. Oh, man. We have thir- er, we have 14 episodes to go. That means we are well over the halfway mark. But we're getting into a part of the show where it is just magnificent in terms of the drama. Um, we are about eight episodes away from like the worst stuff that happens in the show. So we are approaching like that point in the show, but um, this is going to be the plot arc where all the stuff that we have seen so far comes to a head with some of the, like the student council. Um, we get some payoff on some of the stuff going on with Utena and Anthe because like part of the moving to a new room, there's going to be some stuff there that gets very interesting in terms of like, their dynamic and the deepening of their relationship um oh god are we about to get into the fan fiction trope of we share a bed (laughs) not exactly (laughs) okay but i will say the beds are arranged in a very interesting way (laughs) they're like two halves of a heart-shaped bed uh, not heart shaped. You're not far off, though. Like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot, um, and it's way too much to stomach, and still believe that these two are just close friends. <laughs> oh god, it's a rose, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll have to find out. <laughs> yeah. Also, something I didn't even think about: Is Toga gonna come back? Are we ever gonna see him? again because this arc seems like it's going to focus more on Utena, Anthe, and Akio. I will say Toga is back. The arc that we just finished was when they didn't have him as a voice actor. Okay. Um, so like that period of time ended he came back to the show and was available again for the rest of the series. We are going to have his character back. We're going to see him again. That will be interesting. What do you think brings him back? 
uh, maybe he just finally gets over his slump. Uh, maybe he hears that Sionji's back and can't be like one upped by him. I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. I don't know, but it'll be interesting to see how he and Utena interact with each other from here on out. Because they didn't exactly leave things on a high note between them. Right. I can't wait till you see the car. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) He pulls up in the Barbie dream whip. (laughs) Or better yet, the Barbie uh, Swan Lake horse carriage. (laughs) It's peak realty right there. No, it... It's a it's Peak. based on a very specific model of car, but um, it's pretty prime. And the way it's used in the show and the way it becomes a symbol of its own is also interesting and uncomfortable. Um, but in that, like, they get away with it because Ikuhara knows exactly what balance to strike in terms of making you uncomfortable, but not making it repulsive. Okay can't wait to see the car take on a life of its own just like that horror <laughs> book is it christine i think it's- yes <laughs> somebody write that fan fiction oh my god <laughs> we see everything through the perspective of a car that's come to life in otori academy <laughs> so if you write that fan fiction you can send it to us at absolute destiny a podcast at gmail.com or you can put it up on like AO3 and send us the link at our on our Twitter at Zeta Unme Pod. Um, you can also I don't think you can like slide into my DMs, but like you can <laughs> you can message either one of us on Twitter. I'm at Life in Neon. And I'm at Car Cutie. And we would love to read it. We would love to hear from you. Um, we love getting listener mail and uh, we would love to hear your theories on stuff. We got one last week about correcting the record on like one of the characters on the show that I'm really looking forward to seeing that play out on the show because we're just a few episodes away from that happening. Um, yeah. And-, and again, don't be afraid to send in your tinfoil hat conspiracy theories because I want to hear them. I want us little tinfoil hat crew to come together and (laughs) unite (laughs) and for the record i read the emails first in order to filter for any spoilers so you can go ahead and say whatever you want when you send stuff in and i will filter it for chesney so that she doesn't get spoiled while still trying to like get the point across about your message oh i'm so excited about tinfoil hat conspiracy theories now (laughs) i can't wait send them in (laughs) 